today, the National School Board Group considered apparently asking Joe Biden to deploy military police against parents. Also, Georgia voting shattering turnout records after, you know, all of those pundits told us that it was the new Jim Crow. Uh, apparently, I know you'll be shocked to hear this. They were wrong. We've got all of that and more coming up and it all starts right now. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez, today joined by Blaze TV contributor John Doyle, also host of Heck Off Commie, which you should be subscribed to. I mean, if you're based, I guess. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he'd love that. Uh, also joined by is her maiden voyage on the show. We have Paige Willie, host of This Is Your Country, and also former White House advisor, Trump White House advisor, I That's should right. say, which is important to uh, to say, and I don't think I said your name. You're the ho the host of this is your country because <laughs> it's in all caps. Is was that better? That's amazing. That's okay. perfect. Okay, good, good. Um, so make sure that you subscribe to that as well. So I want to get into. Um, there were a lot of headlines today about uh, just how far parents are going uh, to protect their children. I want to try to get into as many as we can here. So first story being that uh, the Texas School Board Association announced yesterday that it is ending its membership in the National School Boards Association following a specially called board meeting. Uh, this was made, the decision was made on Friday by the group's board of directors following the release of an independent investigation in which they found operational deficiencies and lack of internal controls and processes within NSBA. Uh, and this was uh, the investigation disclosed new details about the development of that September 29th, 2021 letter, uh, which co compared parents to domestic terrorists for <gasps> protesting at school board meetings. Um, you know what? I, I had hoped that Texas would um, do this quicker. I had hoped that it wouldn't take Texas as long. Uh, like, for instance, last month, the California School Board Association became the 22nd state to sever ties with this particular organization, the NSBA. Last month, California did it. Here we are. I guess maybe I shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, but um, it's still, it's like, why did it take so long to sever ties with this organization that clearly uh, thinks that they own people's children more than the parents actually own them. Yeah, I like seeing the way parents are acting at these meetings. I like that we're going in there and trying to ruffle some feathers, you know, because I'm, I'm really sick of seeing the way the right has always protested things, which is like we show up and sometimes people wear like founding fathers uniforms and then they'll make signs and they'll have lawn chairs and then they'll sing God bless America and they'll go home. And it's like, that's why we don't accomplish anything right. because we're like, oh, we're going to turn out and then like what, sing a song or something like these people don't care about America. They're not going to be receptive to that. So I like seeing parents go in there and like make a scene and yell and yeah, it's actually a good sign that the government is trying to clamp down on that by labeling them as domestic terrorists because anything that is a threat to their power or their perceived power, they're going to clamp down on. So, like, there's a reason that Black Lives Matter and Antifa never have any police going after them. Or there's a reason that even, like, the peaceful protests that you see from the right never have any police going after them because the regime doesn't actually perceive it to be a threat. So that they're coming down at these parents for acting this way is, I think, a good sign. Me meanwhile, Paige, meanwhile, 
On the other side of things, you have uh, the, the school board group itself, the National School Board Association, in a previous draft of their letter, I mean, in the letter that they already, uh, that they already published was a request for the federal government to use anti-terrorism laws, to use uh, the Patriot Act, uh, to treat all of these threats of violence and domestic terrorism. You know, these parents showing up saying, stop muzzling my child with a mask, they're suffocating, apparently, is domestic terrorism. But in an earlier draft that they had, they actually called for the deployment of the National Guard and military police to monitor school board meetings uh, and then decided to remove that language. But I mean, they they actually were considering asking the Biden administration to deploy military police against the parents. It's hard to believe that I'm living in a world where that's even possible. That's right. And well said, Sarah. I mean, (laughs) you've got two enemies of the people here. You've got the out of control unaccountable intelligence bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And so the attorney general, Merrick Garland, goes in front of the Senate and he testifies that they are not, you know, classifying, categorizing parents this way, that they are not going to, you know, he just lies straight to, I think it was Senator Hawley's face. And that is one element that I think if Republicans take back the House and, you know, the Senate in November, they need to focus on this type of potentially illegal activity by the Biden DOJ. They need to focus on these anti-American and anti-citizen activities where the government is being weaponized against the citizens of this country. And so, as I say, a couple enemies of the people here. Number one is the out-of-control intelligence bureaucracy that they're doing this type of thing through. Number two is this uh, sort of interlocked uh, working between teachers unions, which basically control mm-hmm. the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. and these bureaucracies like the National School Board Association, where, as James said, and as you said, they want to, they believe that they are entitled to control what happens to people's children, and they, at all costs, will protect failing schools from any accountability because yeah. it's like a gravy train for them. Yeah. So, two enemies of the people. I would recommend to Republicans that they focus on this if they take back Congress, but we'll see what happens. You know, it is <laughs> it is curious because um, I had hoped to see more Republicans in the last election focus more on school choice mm-hmm. and trying to uh, explain to parents what was happening in their schools that they are paying for in their tax dollars. Um, And you didn't see that happen, but I feel like now they're finally coming around to the idea that like, hey, we should be promoting this, now's the time, because we've got, it's like every day there's a new story about, you know, some trans, non-binary, binary, binary, I don't even know what these terms mean (laughs) anymore, but like some some teacher going in and trying to indoctrinate someone else's children. Um, But I had hoped that they would come around to it quicker. I know that Trump, I know that it was a big thing for Trump. Um, I don't know how active you were in that particular realm, but um, but it was sad to see that not a lot of other Republicans caught on. No, that's right. And I think it's zooming out a little. It's a sad commentary on the state of our country that we even have to have something like school choice. Right. That, yeah. that, that and a fundamental institution that we pay for has failed so catastrophically that parents now need this like escape valve of like, please let my tax funding, let me go right. to like, take my child to some other functioning school because the one he's in right now is a Thunderdome. Yeah. I mean, schools are like dystopias right now. Yeah. And so I just, that, it depresses me a little that we even have to be thinking about things like school choice, but that is the solution that we're dealing with. And so many parents need it. I mean, especially when you think about parents in these cities that are controlled by people who, as I say, kind of hate their own citizens, that they're left with no choice. They need some other option for their kids. So I want to, as as we're talking about that particular issue, I want to bring up, too, uh, the Arizona Department of Education. 
um, is directing students to LGBT-themed chat rooms for children as young as 10 to discuss gender and sexuality as part of its student resources. Um, this is apparently the Department of Education in Arizona's effort to support LGBT youths. And uh, they were put together with the help of the, quote, members and allies of the LGBTQ plus community. And so they've got these, gosh, I, man, I am sure that there is no way that anything horribly inappropriate could ever <laughs> happen in these chat rooms. What could, I, what could possibly go wrong with this, John? Uh, grooming, probably. Really? Yeah, and no. actually, I would even make the argument that's the intent of it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And she made such a great point there about the whole school choice thing. It's like, we're talking about that, but why? Because we have mm -hmm. lost even the institution of education. And there are these arguments that are very popular on the right about, oh, the government can't do anything right, you know, private. And that's true, but, you know, other countries have government-run education, and they're not teaching their kids to hate themselves, and they're performing higher than we are on the same time. So I, I think it's less about the government controlling it and more about who's controlling the government, which are people who want kids to be dumb because that's how everything makes sense. Like if your child has no concept of biology, no concept of history, then all of these things just make sense to them because they have nothing to compare to. They have no good frame of reference. And so, yeah, uh, that chat room in particular, I saw a video for the first time that I was told about, never got a, around to watching it. It was a video of how these operations actually take place. Uh, when you know you're having your male to female, your female to male, and that is the end conclusion of all the the transitions they talk about when they're talking about transgender kids, because they want you to first have your social transition, which is where your kid starts to go by you know uh, their new name and be referred to as opposite pronouns, and then they have their your, their puberty blockers. But eventually, the end goal is the sex reassignment surgery. So, if you're curious as to what that looks like, uh, you can go to bitshoot.com, search up how the sausage is made, and good luck making it more than no, ten thank seconds. You. I know, like, uh, I don't feel like I want to direct people that I felt way. the same thing, but here's the thing. We have to look in the face the evil that preys upon it's, our children. That's true. Because when you take away all the, the, the makeup and the dancing and the parades, that is what they want for your kids. That's and yeah, point. I wish I didn't have to watch that, but it also, I think, made me more angry. And I think it is that anger and indignation that is going to drive me and hopefully other people to fight back against this competently. Because if not, it's just going to keep marching down the field. Yeah. Um, Paige, this, uh, I would just like to point out that these chats in this wonderful little chat room that is available <laughs> for children as young as 10, um, this is facilitated by staff who work at mm, LGBT mm -hmm. centers but are not mental health professionals. Sure. Well, that's great. What yeah. would prompt any staff member to want to work in a chat room with young children who are confused about their sexuality? Mm, excellent question. And John made a great point, which is that this type of stuff is sort of wrapped in this rhetoric of we're just helping people be themselves. It's a sort of as if it's like this humanitarian mission. But what that really disguises is this sort of sadism and this love of degeneracy that is it, it, it's almost lowbrow in a way. It's like if you're in polite company and you've got people talking about, you know, like all this disgusting stuff, it's like, how does that dominate your mind all day? Like how yeah. do these how do these people they um, they LARP as though they're sophisticates, but in reality, they're degenerates, they're disgusting, and they're sadistic because they want to to do things to children that would render them infertile for their mm -hmm. whole lives if they take these hormone scramblers. And the other thing, 
<laughs> just to tie this off, is I think the only thing that will put a stop to this stuff is when doctors start getting sued for malpractice because they are ruining people's lives. How does that, how does that, ha- how, do, how do we get that to happen though? Because I feel like we've lost the medical community, mm. not mm. just the MDs, right? But, but most especially the mental health Psychologists. professionals, right? Like we've completely lost them. So how do we even, it's hard for me. And I mean, I don't, I don't know that anyone has an answer for that right now, but that's what I'm trying to, co- oh, never mind. Well, John Doyle has an answer for everything. John I'm an so glad you asked. <laughs> Great. We simply. Re- I'm not sure if I'm glad I asked. We simply <laughs> repeal the Eighth Amendment. And we start performing the surgeries that these doctors designed on them. And we see, without any anesthetics or anesthesia or whatever, and then we see if they feel better in their new identity that we've assigned. Because that's the same thing, Mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. They have a better grasp of what's happening to them because of the results. But if we're doing away with this whole, like, you should have it, no, we'll we'll just groom them into doing it by force. The same way that they groom children into it. Because kids can't consent. Like, their entire concept of the world comes from adults. Mm -hmm. Usually their parents, and it should be their parents. But if it's not their parents, then it's going to be you know, the television, the media, it's going to be teachers. So someone's always going to be whispering in their ear telling them, oh, this is how you should view the world. And so when they say that, like, oh, kids can consent, we want to you know, separate their, uh, them from their parents if their parents are you know, domestic terrorists, white nationalists. It's like that's just them wanting to have that influence over the kids as opposed to the parents having the influence over the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you, John. I I am glad I asked, I guess. Uh, All right. (laughs) When we come back, let's get into uh, what is going on with a a plan to assassinate George W. Bush here in Dallas. I'm sure you will be shocked to hear how this uh, ISIS-linked operative planned to uh, to accomplish this. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Birch Gold. So, look, the Fed is finally realizing the uh, horrible shape our economy is in, which is, of course, thanks to our loose monetary policy, Who knew that you can't just spend trillions every year with absolutely no repercussions? Oh, I mean, I feel like people at this table knew. I feel like Blaze TV knew. But unfortunately, we aren't running your country. So now the Fed has to play catch up and they plan to raise rates seven times this year. Uh, You're already obviously starting to see these ripple effects in the housing market as people's buying power diminishes. And uh, I don't know if you've considered this, but uh, do you know what could happen in the stock market if our economy stalls out? Do not Wait until that happens. You got to take some of your profits from the stock market now, solidify them with gold from Birch Gold. Uh, gold has maintained throughout history its value better than any other investment in the world. You can text Y, the word Y, W H Y, to 989898 for a free zero obligation info kit on holding gold in a tax sheltered retirement account. Don't wait until you are losing that money you have worked so hard for. You can text the word Y to 989898. An Islamic State of Iraq and Syria-linked operative planned to assassinate former President George W. Bush in Dallas, according to uh, the FBI. So uh, this was a plot that uh, the FBI said that it uncovered the scheme through the work of two confidential informants and surveillance of the alleged plotter's account on the WhatsApp uh, messaging platform. And so this ISIS operative alleged was based in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, and he said that he wanted to assassinate Bush because he felt the former president was responsible for killing many Iraqis and breaking apart the country after the 2003 U.S. military invasion. So uh, what he was trying to do was um, trying to help his compatriots escape, well, come over the border 
Okay, so over the southern border, which as we know is just wide open spaces, um, and then help his pals who are helping him kill George W. Bush go back and escape back over the southern border. Um, you know, I mean, this isn't the first time that we've read about uh, potential, like, people on the terrorist watch list coming to the southern border trying to get over. Because why wouldn't they? Which I feel like is a great reason to secure the freaking border. But what do I know? That's hate speech. <laughs> That's hate speech to secure the border. No, it's true. Um, I think that it's interesting how the FBI can literally find a needle in a haystack when it wants to. But only when it's like they're friends. Like George point. Bush is a friend of the establishment. Mm -hmm. So if some random guy in Ohio, which is probably the least interesting state in the country, uh, if, if they can find him and they can stop him and his buddies from coming over the border to go after a former U.S. president who they perceive to be on their side. But I don't think they would uh, do the same for someone who maybe isn't exactly on their side. I think they would actually encourage certain employees or those who are adjacent to that intelligence apparatus to even instigate certain things to make that man look bad and then throw a bunch of his supporters in jail uh, for like a year and a half. I am so glad you said that, John, because that's immediately what I thought of, was just like, oh, conveniently, they find something and actually stop it. There's that's gonna, interesting. There's going to be a lot more of that chemistry on our show coming up. We're starting a new show, by the way. I don't know if you know about that. <laughs> You're already spilling the beans? Yeah, I'm just so excited <laughs> about that. Creating rumors? I can't help it. <laughs> Paige, what are your thoughts? On our oh, show. Boy. What are your thoughts on, yeah, our, yeah, new on show? your show? Yeah, on your show. Yeah. Ooh, I better watch it. I can't say yet. Um, <laughs> so, okay, the border situation that Biden and, as I like to call him, sick puppy Mayorkas have created intentionally <laughs> is this like intentional exploitation of American sort of resources because anyone who comes here can pretty much get anything they want. Like, you got COVID, you can come get a hospital bed mm -hmm. and be treated, whatever. The whole situation ranging from fentanyl to public services, to security and terrorism, these types of things, has been completely thrown open, uh, able to be exploited by virtually any bad actor in the world. And the weird thing to me is that the the news media still covers it as if it's this sort of like horrible accident. Like Biden is contending with border crisis. Biden struggles to contain border surge, and it's like it's they they're will, not willing to admit that this is done intentionally right. for whatever reason they say. Whether oh it's compassion, people are coming here to live a better life. They all act as though he has no control over it whatsoever. Poor Biden is trapped in this spontaneous circumstance, and the uh, just to to put a uh, point on that. I saw a interviewer um, asking Jim Jordan when he was, you know, commenting about border security and the policies relating to this. Um, he was saying, you know, I the, he, he was detailing all these, you know, consequences of the policy and, and the open borders and so on. And the interviewer says, uh, stops and says, well, there's no evidence that it's deliberate. <laughs> and I just like I couldn't believe what I was seeing on TV. I was like, what do you mean no evidence? He, he deliberately signed like a stack of 20 executive right. orders his first day in office to open the border. So you've got a huge amount of obfuscation, malfeasance. Uh, I mean, holy cow, it's bad. I get that is appalling yeah. to hear. Well, there's no evidence that it's deliberate. Right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, except the fact that like he could end it like 
yesterday I know. and just chooses not to. And he was literally bragging about all the executive orders. Like it was like a stack this tall yeah. on his desk in the Oval Office the first day he yeah. took office. Well, because because the I mean his entire point was like we're going to reverse every single thing That's right. that President Trump did. That's right. Good or bad. And even when he was campaigning in 2019, there's uh, Joe Biden was at an event where he said we could easily absorb two million people every year. And that is like eerily similar to the number that he eventually like brought over. Wow. Like <laughs> when people tell you they hate your country, believe them. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> point, John. It is hatred. You know, there's these disastrous things happening and there's a lot of very smug sort of wannabe intellectual types on the right who will say, oh, well, you know, never attribute to malevolence, which mm. can be adequately explained by incompetence. And it's like, OK, shut up, nerd. Yeah. Second of all. <laughs> Like, I don't need the evidence to prove that they're, like, you know, scheming necessarily. Right. The result is the same. Right. And they never apologize. Nope. So it's not like Biden, you know, you really fumbled that. We've yeah. got three million more people. He was like, oh, no, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Like, he just gaslights. Right. Like, I don't want to yeah. be gaslit by, like, a dementia-suffering senior citizen anymore. And he's like, oh, it's actually good. Diversity is our strength. Mm -hmm. That's a conspiracy theory. And that's why I think the kids thing is so effective, because everyone knows that the border is bad, and we all know that it's going to catch up to us, at least the consequences of that. But it's less immediate than, like, kids coming home from school mm -hmm. and it's not even like it was 30 mm -hmm. years ago where it's like what'd you learn today oh that we're racist and like okay it's like what'd you learn today well i'm a boy it's like now it's a more immediate <laughs> thing that i think we can capitalize mm -hmm. on that's a great point um speaking of gaslighting uh half of america i guess if you guys recall last year uh president biden and many of the democrat uh lawmakers the democrat leaders i should say called Georgia's new voting law, this is SB 202, uh, a blatant attack on the Constitution and good conscience and called it uh, Jim Crow in the 21st century. And it is Jim Eagle even. It's worse than Crow. It's Jim Eagle. Uh, the, uh, the 2021 All-Star MLB game moved out of Atlanta as a response. This was backlash. This is like super racist. And of course, you remember like you're not allowed to have water in line. I mean, there were all sorts of ridiculous rumors going Going, uh, going around, but um, apparently early voting in Georgia is breaking records and also particularly within Democrats and also particularly um, in uh, the black community as well, which is just, sh I'm, I'm shocked. That's shocking that did you know that black people were able to figure out how to get an ID and go vote? Why are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, obviously I knew that. Did you? Yes, obviously. Are you, no, shocked, are, you are you shocked to, right, <laughs> are you shocked to hear? Because I heard from the president that black and brown people don't know, remember in, when he was uh, in the debates, is like, well, they don't know how to, you know, use a computer to look up how to get a vaccine, and well, we don't, they don't know how to go get a voter ID. Come on, they're stupid, that's man. That's the same guy who said that Barack Obama was like, what, the first articulate yes. black politician? Yes. So, it's very disgusting attitudes towards the black community from Joe Biden, which I think are abhorrent. But I do think it's interesting how there's a sort of conception of the Constitution is like this big thing that said everybody gets rights, which is true. But the founding fathers never intended for like voting to be a right. It was like a privilege. And there were prerequisites to be met, like you had to have a stake in society. You had to own land, things like that. Why? I can't think of an argument as to why like voting should be a universal right. Like, why would you want People who, if you're in traffic or you're on YouTube, you know that people are generally stupid. Why would you want them having like an equal stake in steering the ship that we're all on? It just doesn't make sense to me. I do. I do. I would agree. Paige is like, oh, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> if I want to, this is a dangerous first show to be on. But I do agree that like 
you, it, I think receiving, at least receiving government funds in a lot of ways is such a conflict of interest uh, that it becomes really difficult to defend being like you're just mm. being able to vote for like more free stuff. Mm. Why yeah. would you not do that? Right. And when you have so many Americans, I mean, they're, the, the left is just incentivizing them mm. to continue voting for them. They know that they're, you know, bribing them. They're dangling the carrot out in front of them. Um, I have I have more thoughts, but I guess I won't share them because I don't want to get <laughs> in well, trouble. I, that, there's a couple of right. good points wrapped up there, too, which is that, number one, somehow we lost the plot. Voting should be on day and in on election yes, day and yes, in, in person, yes, right? Yeah. And otherwise, you're conducting a sort of weeks long public opinion poll. Yeah. And so to to insist that what Americans deserve is this sort of like third world standard of like, did we count them? Does this one count even though you can't read anything on it? And like all mm -hmm. this type of stuff, it is intentional subversion. Like it is in, it is designed to make people lose faith that they have recourse. It is designed to deprive people of recourse. And so when you've got people like Joe Biden, people like the Democrats in Congress saying that we need all of these efforts to sort of loosen election law and make it more liable to subversion, it is an effort to disenfranchise the public and deprive them of recourse. And so and one way you sort of see that play out is when Delta and the Major League Baseball and all these other other sort of behemoths were saying we're going to pull our business out of Georgia because you're making laws we don't like. So I think that first, I mean, companies can do whatever they want, of course. But the, the, the fact is, to me, that was a step too far in a lot of people's minds because the legislature in Georgia is elected by the people to make laws. Mm -hmm. Corporations are not elected by people mm -hmm. and they are not elected to make laws. And right. so if corporations want to sort of... Uh, usurp the power to make law and policy, you have got a serious a serious issue there of like who has power in our country. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, all right, we've got to uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. First, we want to thank our sponsor this segment, First Liberty Institute. So, uh, look, I we talk about this on the program, but um, the Democrats are really talking about court packing. And obviously that would be a huge danger to our country. Uh, court packing is a coup. And uh, the radical left is working overtime on new plans to pack the Supreme Court. If we don't stop them from installing four more justices so they can rig the system in their favor, you can imagine the types of things that they will go on to rule on. It would be catastrophic, not just for the court, but for our country and our way of life. We cannot let that happen. That is why we need you to join us. We're gathering a coalition of one million patriots to say no to court packing, say no to the liberal agenda, no to the Supreme Court coup. We've got people like Franklin Graham, former U.S. Attorney General Ed Meese, Dr. James Dobson, the Family Policy Alliance, the Heritage Foundation. These are people like you, over 400,000 people who are all on board. We're asking you to just go sign your name there now. It is supremecoup.com to sign First Liberty's letter. That is supremecoup.com. Yesterday on the program, we talked about the San Francisco bishop who uh, is banning Nancy Pelosi from communion because of her, not just her stance on abortion, but just the fact that because of her position, she is in a place where she is encouraging uh, such a horrible sin. Well, Whoopi Goldberg, who I guess is like a Catholicism expert now, uh, went on The View, which I'm always shocked to hear that that is actually still a show that is on television because I you cannot, you cannot convince me that people actually watch it. 
You can't. I will not believe it. Uh, but Whoopi Goldberg was talking about this particular issue, the San Francisco bishop who is banning Nancy Pelosi from taking communion. And uh, she had an interesting justification as to uh, why she felt the way that she did. Watch. Welcome to The View, y'all. The abortion rights battle is starting to blur the lines between church and state. The Archbishop of San Francisco mm, is calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament. This is not your job, dude. That is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. You know, what is the saying? It's kind of amazing. Uh, but, you know, yes. what is the point of communion, right? It's for uh, sinners. It's the, for, the, for sinners. It's the reward of saints, but the bread of sinners. How dare you? Wait, is she saying that abortion is a sin? Because I thought it was a woman's right. I thought it was a reproductive. I thought it was a basic healthcare. human right. Yeah, it was reproductive health care was what they told me. Is she now admitting that this is actually a sin? Yeah, you can hear how slowly her brain is operating. <laughs> like, it's literally like puttering along. And you can only assume that the audience, their brain is operating at an even like slower rate of efficiency because they actually like listen to this. But as a, as, are you Catholic by chance? I'm not. Well, as the resident Catholic. Yes, I was going to say, we do have a real Catholic expert here. It's so true. Wow, but, so what's your lived experience? Yeah, well, I will tell you my lived experience. It, you cannot receive the communion if you are in a state of having not repented for a mortal sin. Just, it's that simple. And Nancy Pelosi uh, probably hasn't done that. She probably hasn't gone to reconciliation. So for her to knowingly do that is, yeah, something she should be barred from. And I don't know why people like Whoopi Goldberg are saying, like, oh, who are you to say? Who are you to call into question who he, I mean, he's right. the archbishop. Like, who are you? You have a talk show and you're not that smart. Like, that's your resume. And this is like the archbishop. So he's totally correct. She's wrong. And I think even the teaching from the church, which is the one true church, of course, is that if you do that, if you receive the communion, that sacrament, when you're in that state of having not repented, you're basically eating your own damnation. Like, it's insulting. Like, she's right in that it is, you know, the, the reward for the saints, but it's like, you know, you can't enter into that sort of, um, I guess you'd say, experience if you're not in a state of grace as we would understand it. It's almost like a, like a middle finger to God to do that, to say, like, I have an unclean soul, I haven't repented, but I'm still going to, like, ingest your body into mine. That's very wrong. Yeah. Well, far be it from me to pretend that I'm some type of theologian as Whoopi Goldberg, but uh, <laughs> one thing that I think is pretty grating to the American public is that Nancy Pelosi has a tendency to abuse and weaponize scripture to justify some of her mm -hmm. sickest and most backward uh, policies. And in just one recent example, she was justifying the $40 billion in Ukraine aid by saying, um, when you're at home wondering what all this is about, just think, when I was hungry, you fed me from the Gospel of Matthew. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how are you full of charity and grace mm -hmm. and, you know, generosity for every global cause on earth except your own people? Right, right. And people notice. Isn't she worth like $200 million, too? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, you know, the uh, lawmaker for how many years? 
Yeah, she, she's literally made more money than most American families years. will ever see in their lives right. by advocating for now things like grooming children. There's another very interesting verse in Matthew that talks about what should be done to people like that. I think it involves a rope and like what would now be a cinder block and then throwing them into water. I'd have to brush up on my biblical knowledge, but I think ask there Bobby was something Goldberg. in there about yeah, that. Yeah, you should ask Bobby <laughs> I'll call into the view. <laughs> I, did, I, I also found it fascinating, just really quick, I found it fascinating that she made the claim that like this is blurring the lines between between church, church and, and state. state. <laughs> it's like, no, the church has been really clear on where they stand on killing human life. Mm. I feel like that's not really blurring any lines right. between church and state. So now if if it becomes a political issue, the church isn't allowed and to is have an opinion. And is she implying that like, the government is beyond reproach? Like, you know, know. if the government does something, you may never weigh in on it as a religious authority. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the church is just supposed to just go along with it because the government has made its decision. Oh my when that was bizarre. When that was written to, well, first of all, it was never written anywhere. The whole idea of like a separation of church from, uh, or church and state, that was, I think, in reference to a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote, but that's not like in the Constitution or anything. What they meant by that was that the church should be free from the influence of the government. Right. And that was at a time when the church actually had more influence in American society than the government. So if the church said, don't do this, people wouldn't do it. But if the government said, don't do this, it'd be like, oh, who are you? Shut up. Like, And they would right. do it anyways. <laughs> so all of the authority was derived from God. And the idea of the government was to get evil out of the way so that people could live good lives. Yeah. Uh, speaking of just awful, awful media outlets, uh, the Washington Post tweeted, I believe this was yesterday, uh, they tweeted that George Floyd was shot by a police officer. It says uh, on May 25th, 2020, George Floyd was shot and killed in police custody. His death sparked outrage, wide-scale protests, and calls to change policing. Uh, they also published it that way on their website, and uh, they had to, you know, delete the tweet and say, we've deleted a previous tweet for this form that included language that was changed after publish. The new tweet was corrected to say that he died in police custody. Uh, of course, he did have quite a bit of fentanyl in his system and died of <laughs> cardiopulmonary arrest. It's just interesting there that anyone could pop like do we you guys are the washington post you forget the facts that quickly just like that huh page <laughs> oh my goodness i mean especially when you think that our entire society and public discourse was reoriented around litigating the george floyd issue for yeah. what two solid years yeah. i mean it was uh tough to forget those circumstances for virtually everyone other than the washington post but um the this we're coming up on the anniversary of the George Floyd death. I think that may have been the circumstance in which this tweet was sent out. I don't know. But there is this tendency in the mainstream media to sort of bait people into the it's like they're salivating over a race war or something. It's like it's, they want to pit citizens against each other. I thought initially that this was something that they were doing to help Biden's chances in the 2020 election, which was sort mm -hmm. of like, if there are differences in group outcomes, it is because um, your evil fellow citizens did this to you because right. this country is evil. Um, they want you to fail rather than uh, interrogating the legacy of someone like Joe Biden, who made a lot of policies that harmed the people of this country. So, I mean, you've got a, a confluence of issues there that um, that the George Floyd thing really kicked off. And I cannot say I am excited to litigate those again in the flurry of anniversary celebrations. Yeah.
John. You have to love the rhetorical sleight of hand because when you had cases like Michael Brown where he was charging police officers after having tried to get their gun from them, mm -hmm. they still wrote about that as an unarmed black man was shot by police. So you know that if George Floyd had actually died because of the actions of Derek Chauvin, they would have wrote that. They would have been happy to write that. So they retract the thing that he was shot because that's of course factually untrue and they replace it with the much more ambiguous died in police custody and it's like, <laughs> well, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah. Because the average person will read that and just be like, oh, that, well, the police did it. And it's like, yeah. no, it's probably like the drugs. Same with January 6th. Yeah. yeah. They used to be saying that it was like the rioters murdered people, and then right. they had to start changing the rhetoric to say because that wasn't true. Yeah. Medical reports showed that wasn't true, and they had to change the rhetoric to things like died from events surrounding January 6th. Yeah, no, I still see people to this day on the left, and they are constantly like, they killed seven police officers. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, no, yeah. baby, that didn't happen. Uh, all right, we, uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Checking in uh, on the World Economic Forum, <laughs> Australian e-safety commissioner Julie Inman-Grant uh, said that, you know what, we may need to recalibrate human rights. Watch. We are finding ourselves in a place um, where we're, we have increasing polarization everywhere and everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be. So I think we're going to have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online, you know, from freedom of speech to the freedom to, you know, to be free from on online violence or the uh, right of data protection to the right to child dignity. Oh, child dignity. That's cute, coming from the people who want to uh, indoctrinate all children into being confused about their genders. Um, I'm also wondering what uh, online violence is. Is that like when you play a violent video game online? I think what they mean by that is when they'll say that like, for example, the, the rhetoric surrounding the great replacement conspiracy theory, they'll say that even talking about that can incite real-world violence. And so mm -hmm. basically they would use that as an excuse to shut down anything that's to the right of, like, mm -hmm. George Bush talking points and say, well, this is going to incite violence. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Paige? Um, gosh, okay. The, I, this is a really good example of how these international organizations are— it, it is such a risk to Americans when you have leaders who sort of— um, submit America to these globalist institutions because it, when you submit your sovereignty there, I mean, you've got really no say left in certain things. I mean, these aren't people dedicated to anything that Americans care about or value. Mm -hmm. And so when you've got the whole range of international organizations, whether it's the WHO, the WTO, the UN, you name it, it is. It becomes a problem for the things that the U.S. government is supposed to be safeguarding for the American people when they say, actually, we submit our authority to this international body to decide whatever they want. Right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because you look at, you know, this woman, again, is from Australia, the Australian e-safety commissioner. Mm -hmm. um, seem to recall Australia not uh, having very much freedom when COVID happened, and uh, they were sending people to, like, camps and stuff against uh, against their will. So it is interesting to hear her um, talk about uh, free speech. It's like, actually, we have that kind of taken care of in our founding documents. So I don't think you need to worry about that for us. You guys can do whatever you want to do over there in Australia land. But um, we're, that's supposed to be like our our thing. 
Yeah, we're regressing as a country. Like we think because we have iPhones that we're making progress, but it's <laughs> like all of the symptoms of an unhealthy society are more prevalent now than they were 50 years ago. Like we are moving backwards in terms of like human flourishing. Like all of our media now and the way people joke is everything is so depressing and like I hate myself, I'm gonna kill myself. And it's like, can you imagine doing that in the 50s? It'd be like, why don't you get some kind of fairy and like beat you up? Like that <laughs> yeah. was just, everyone was happy and they make fun of me because I idolize that. It's like, yeah, because it was a fun time. But now because we've got these people, oh, we're smart and we have our ties and we've read these things and we know how to fix the world. It's like, no, no, you don't. America knew how to be the best country in the world before the World Economic Forum. We were doing it, we were on a roll, and then you guys started ruining everything after World War II. Yeah, I, I want to play one more clip for you guys from the World Economic Forum. This is uh, J. Michael Evans, the president of the Alibaba Group, which is, of course, a Chinese multinational technology company. Uh, he bragged about developing this technology that would actually monitor the carbon footprint of consumers. Watch. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned, mm. we don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. He, uh, he says, notice he says for now, he's like for the individual to use, surely that won't ever be used for any sort of climate-based uh, social credit system. The weird and disturbing thing when you hear people talk like this is that this is not something consumers are demanding. This is not something anyone asked for. This is not an application of technology that improves the human condition or that anyone has requested. And it doesn't solve any problems. It is so, I mean, two things. One is that it's transparently developed to surveil and, and track huh. and, and yeah. do things like that, you know, as, as a lot of sort of, you know, bio data things already are. But additionally, it's this, I think this is something that really repels normal people and that they're really on the lookout for now after, you know, the, the COVID pandemic is this notion that you should be hyper optimizing every little metric with technology. And a lot of people say, you know, that is fundamentally dehumanizing. It's not really something I want. I don't want my culture to be like that. I want my economy to be like that. I don't want my health to be like that. And the fact that this is so prominent with so little demand is, I think that's the, the disturbing element for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Libs of TikTok doing God's work over there uh, just recently posted a video explaining how apparently there is a new, uh, uh, there's a fatness spectrum. Let's watch. Okay, this is the fatness spectrum. Okay. A small fat is a size 18 and lower, 1X or 2X. I'm a 4X, 5X. I'm a size 26, sometimes 28. I am the super fat you say I'm speaking over. So what is that? That's small fat, mid fat. Uh, pull that back up on the screen. Small fat, mid fat, super fat, and infinifat, which is, that's great. That's wonderful that we are. Um, hey, you know what? Where may, we may have inflation and uh, high grocery bills and gas prices, but uh, people of America are eating. 
That's almost like a flex. This is almost like this neo cast yeah. system where she's like infinifat and she's like <laughs> bragging about it. Like we're all gonna be so poor and hungry that being fat is gonna revert to being something of like a, like a status symbol. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Good for her. Good for her. Yeah, for that's, her that's right. great. Not good for her cholesterol, I don't think. Well, cholesterol is actually good for you. Not good for her triglycerides. She's going to die, but not like, it's not going to be good. Not good for her triglycerides. Triglycerides are not good for you. I'm a triglyceride expert. You don't have to really? tell me. I know all about it. I wrote the book on it. Breast yeah. milk expert, triglyceride expert. Yeah, that's why, that's why I'm glowing. That's why Catholic I'm so healthy. Expert. Yeah, true. That's why Interesting. I'm going to go to... Can't hold a candle to Whoopi Goldberg, though. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, Paige, you obviously, uh, you know, take care of your body. People get so wrapped up. <laughs> in like you can't fat shame mm. um, and I don't think it has anything to do with saying like it's not beautiful it's not pretty or it's ugly it doesn't have anything to do with that it's just like caring about your health mm, yes so I mean I went to a small liberal arts college in 2012 to 2016 and so at this point almost nothing can shock me in this <laughs> regard um, <laughs> they had a speaker come to campus when I was in school that was actually um, sponsored by the campus health center um, who was giving that type of spiel about you know anti fat discrimination and so on and so forth and um, that was that type of glimpse into that type of psyche is um, very informative. It's uh, you really understand what you're dealing with when you're exposed to that type of thing. And the sad thing about this stuff on TikTok is like these people have too much time on your hands. By the time you're litigating, you know, the I don't know, clothing sizes of like that level of whatever's going on. I mean, you've got to find something else to do. I don't really know what to say. I feel like it's like a misery loves company thing. Yeah. Right. Like they like the, they deep down, they know that it's not healthy and they're mad about it. So they just want to, to make more people that way. I am not going to pretend I care about the health aspect of it. Like, <laughs> like when I walk down the street and I see a guy smoking, I don't go, oh, no, if only you weren't doing that. It's really like more of a beauty thing. And I think it is that, but I think it's that they know that they're not beautiful. And so they cope by saying, like, actually, this is beautiful. It's just a different type of beauty. Mm -hmm. And they're really, it's an abomination. Like, they are corrupting my God-given right as a young man to objectify women who walk by me on the street <laughs> oh, no. by being ugly. And they should be, like, locked to locked to some sort of cell and, and starved until they get down to like a normal size in oh. my opinion. that's what a healthy country would well do. there it was there it went uh, only 10 seconds to spare john so you got it in right on time uh page thank you for being here your first time thank you for we'll come me. back please great stream and subscribe to more blaze media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts